Good morning, church family. We have the joy of being able to gather back around God's Word together, and so I want to encourage you to take your copy of the Scriptures and join me in Acts chapter 19. We're going to spend time this morning in verses 11 through 20, and I've entitled this message, Revival in Ephesus. Revival in Ephesus. As we get ready to dive in this morning, I don't know if you ever noticed this as a kid growing up, but I would go into a gas station or something like that, or maybe even a restaurant, and always notice that there was a sign that said, no shirt, no shoes, no service. Uh, you make it throw in that now in businesses, no mask, no service. Uh, but I always thought it was interesting that that was something that was needed to be put up. I was like, that, that's weird. Why would someone show up without a shirt on or without shoes on or something like that? And I always would ask my dad, you know, what, what's the deal with that? Why would you have to advertise that? And he said, son, don't you realize where we live in South Georgia? This is a problem. It can be. And you would think that someone would not want to go out like that, but in fact, they would. And so people would have to put those signs up in businesses and say, you can't come in if you don't have the proper attire on. And what we're going to see in Acts chapter 19 is a fascinating story. In fact, one of my favorite stories in the book of Acts, where we're going to see seven men who actually have their clothes beat off of them. Fascinating story. And so I want to look at the scriptures this morning, beginning in verse 11 of Acts chapter 19. I want to read the text for us, and then we'll walk back through it together. This is what Luke records. And God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul, so that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick, and their diseases left them, and the evil spirits came out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists undertook to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, I adjure you by Jesus whom Paul proclaims. Seven sons of a Jewish high priest named Sceva were doing this, but the evil spirit answered them, Jesus I know, and Paul I recognize, but who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them, mastered all of them, and overpowered them, so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled. Also, many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. And a number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. And they counted the value of them and found that it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. Father, we ask this morning that as we open your word, you would open our eyes that we would be able to see, you would open our ears that we would be able to hear, and that you would open our hearts and our minds that we would be ready to respond to your word and to your spirit. We ask all of this in Jesus' name, and everyone said, amen. What a fascinating story, isn't it though? I mean, just crazy things going on in just these verses. And so I want us to walk back through them together, and, and I want to frame our time together with this main idea, because 
Uh, we can get trapped into the, the miraculous things that were happening or the fact that a demon-possessed man beat the pants off of all of these guys. We can focus in on all those things, but, but I want to focus in on where this passage is going and, and the emphasis that, that the text is placing importance on. And it's not those miracles. It's not the, uh, the guy beating the pants off the other guys. In fact, it is in the mission of God moving forward. And so this is the main idea. A group of believers who are serious about God's glory and mission can impact a city. A group of believers who are serious about God's glory and God's mission can impact a city. Let's walk back through the text. I want you to notice in verses 11 through 12, God's blessing that we witness here. Notice what Luke records. He says, God was doing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. So we know, as we talked last week, that oftentimes as the gospel of Jesus Christ is going forth in a city, sometimes for the first time where people are hearing who Jesus is, that he's the Savior that uh, can save them from their sins, we will see God do incredible, miraculous things to, to put the exclamation point behind the message. Now, I want you to notice as we walk through this that Oftentimes, if we're not careful and, and if, if churches are not careful, we'll focus in on the miracle and not recognize that that miracle is always attached to a message. And that message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. The miracle is not the point. The message is the point. The miracle simply adorns the message, emphasizes the message. And so the miraculous things that were happening, here's what's going on in verse 12. Listen to this. So that even handkerchiefs or aprons that had touched Paul's skin were carried away to the sick and their diseases left them and the evil spirits came out of them. Now just put that in perspective. That is absolutely amazing. Miraculous, crazy. I mean, could you imagine those things taking place? In fact, things that had just touched Paul's skin were being carried to people who were sick or being carried to people who were demon-possessed. And just those articles, God's glory was at work through them to transform these people's lives, to heal people, to deliver them from demon oppression. And it, it's just miraculous. It's amazing. God's blessing in the gospel going forth is incredible. But I want you to notice what happens beginning in verse 13. And we're going to see God's judgment on display here beginning in verses 13 through 16. It says that some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists, now you look at that and you go, holy smokes, what is going on? Is this like a movie? Is this a crazy movie? Um, here's what's going on. At this point in time, the city of Ephesus was an interesting place. In fact, there was tons of idol worshiping going on in the city of Ephesus, but there was also this fascination with the occult and with magic and all of these things. And so uh, some of the Jewish people had bought into this and were involved in the same practice and were seeking to gain financially from this fascination with the occult, this fascination with magic and demons and, and all this thing. They were able to try to step in and say, hey, we have this side of understanding because we're Jewish that, that some of these other pagan people don't have. And so it says that some of them 
were undertaking to invoke the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So notice this. They are seeing that God is working powerfully through Paul as Paul is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, and they look and say, huh, maybe we could get a piece of this power too. Well, how do we do this? They know that the name of Jesus is important, so they say, let's co-op the name of Jesus and just kind of incorporate that in our practice of exorcism. And so what we're going to do is we're going to claim the name of the Lord Jesus as we're interacting with these people who are demon-possessed, and maybe that'll help us gain some notoriety, and maybe we'll be able to do the things that Paul is able to do. So I want you to notice that they would use this. In fact, there were seven sons, verse 14 says, of a Jewish high priest named Sceva who were doing this. They were trying this practice. Let's co-opt the name of Jesus. Let's use that to try to do this practice of oppress people who were demon-possessed to, to free them from this. Let's see if this will work. I want you to notice what happens in verse 15 as they try this on a demon-possessed man. It says the evil spirit, that's the demon, answered them. So they've tried to co-opt the name of Jesus, tried to use the power they saw Paul had, and they said, here's what we're doing. The evil spirit looks at them and says this, notice, Jesus I know. Let's just pause for a second and, and emphasize the reality that demons, Satan himself, knows who Jesus Christ is and trembles at his name. So the demon says, I know Jesus. I know that he's the son of God. I know that. And he says, I know who Paul is. In fact, I've heard of Paul. I know that Paul is a servant of the Lord and he is preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ this is where it gets interesting. But who are you? I know Jesus. I know Paul, seven sons of Sceva. I don't know who you are. And at this point, notice what happens in verse 16. The man in whom was the evil spirit, the demon-possessed man, leaped on them, mastered all of them, overpowered them. So listen, they fled out of the house naked and wounded. In fact, this was an honor-based culture, a shame-based culture. And so the fact that they are fleeing out of this house with absolutely no clothes on because they've been mastered by this demon-possessed man, these seven men had, this would have brought the greatest shame on them. And I believe that God in his providence allowed this demon to do that so that God would place emphasis on the fact that you're not going to co-opt the name of the Lord Jesus for your own purposes and your own gain. God doesn't play that game. God takes very seriously his own glory. And in this instance, exercises judgment against the seven sons of Sceva who are seeking to do just that. Notice what happens on the back end of this, though, beginning in verse 17. This story, this situation, became known to all the residents of Ephesus, both Jews and Greeks, and fear fell upon them all. And the name of the Lord Jesus was extolled or praised or lifted up. I want you to notice continuing in verse 18. Also, 
Many of those who were now believers came confessing and divulging their practices. These were believers who had trusted Jesus as their Savior, but, but for some reason had held on to these previous practices of magic or fascination with the occult or whatever it was that was in the city of Ephesus at that time. But they recognized very quickly that God takes this stuff seriously. That God is serious about his glory. God is serious about his name. This is not something to be played with or trifled with or dabbled in. And so they recognize that the entire city is caught in recognizing that the name of the Lord Jesus is important and it should be lifted up. It should not be taken for granted. These believers look and say, we've got issues in our own lives, sin that's present, and it says that they confessed and they divulged this. They confessed their sin. And they also took the step in verse 19. A number of those who had practiced magic arts brought their books together and they burned them in the sight of all. They didn't allow those things to stay. They recognized this is serious. God takes his glory and his mission seriously. And we don't want to be caught in what happened to these seven sons of Sceva. We don't want to be in that position. God, we recognize your holiness and your glory, and we take that seriously. They brought these books. These are believers who did this. They burned them in the sight of all, and it says they counted the value of them, and it came to 50,000 pieces of silver. It's estimated that that price tag was probably in our today's dollars about six million dollars worth of these books and trinkets that went along with this occult worship and practice. And so at this point in time, what we see going on in Ephesus is just generally for everyone a reverence and a fear and a recognition of the importance of who Jesus is. But what we see in the life of Christians there is revival. We see them take seriously who Jesus is, take seriously the sin that is present in their own lives, confessing that to the Lord and dealing with that, uprooting that out of their lives. I want you to notice in verse 20 what happens on the back end of that. Verse 20 says, So the word of the Lord continued to increase and prevail mightily. So as the believers there are revived, as they are once again taking seriously God's glory and God's purpose and God's mission, as they're taking sin and uprooting it out of their lives, what we see as a result of that is that the word of God, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ continues to flourish and God continues to bless it. And the text says it prevails, meaning that it overruns everything else. We're going to see some of the aftermath of that next week when we keep walking through Acts chapter 19. But as we reflect on the text this morning, I want you to notice that progression from God's blessing and work to God's judgment to revival in the life of the believers in Ephesus to once again experiencing God's blessing. In just a little bit, we're going to sing and then we're going to gather back together again. And I want us to talk about some specific application from this text in our own lives. You worship with us now.
So let's walk back through the text this morning and think about some specific application as we consider this revival that broke out in Ephesus and as we think about just the reality that a group of believers who are serious about God's glory and God's mission can make an impact in a city. I want us to think through some questions as we kind of look at the formula that unleashes here in Acts chapter 19, beginning in verse 11, where we see God's blessing as the gospel is proclaimed, as we see then God's judgment as those seek to kind of come in and to to co-opt Jesus's name and power for themselves, as we see the revival that breaks out as It comes on the back end of God's judgment against this evil, and then we see once again God's blessing. Let's think through some questions, and I want us to focus in on that first thought of of God's blessing, of God working in powerful ways. Do, Do you and do I assume God's blessing, or do we enjoy God's blessing? I think this is an important thing for us to think through just in our own lives as believers, and then as we look in our the life of our church and and around us. Um, I think oftentimes, if we're not careful, we'll just assume God's blessing. We will think that God should be blessing us. God should be blessing our church. God should be blessing our lives and the lives of our kids. And and we just assume that that's going to happen. We just assume that God's blessing is going to take place. And I think for us, the question is, are we basking in and enjoying and rejoicing in God's blessing? Or do we just assume that it's going to happen? You know, I think sometimes as the church, we can just assume that God's going to bless our church. I think about that in the life of North River Church. We just assume that God's going to bless us. I mean, we're a church after all, right? Why wouldn't God bless us? But think about this. How often do we just assume that and not really pause and take note of God's blessing? to be able to rejoice in what God has done, to thank God for how he's at work and how he's blessing our church, and then take it personally, just assuming God's blessing, or do we thank God for his blessing? Do we enjoy that? Do we bask in the reality that God is blessing us? You know, then as we move forward and we think about God's judgment, what what we see taking place is these seven sons of Sceva seeking to co-opt God's name and try to use it for their own purposes and their own selfish gain, likely financially, but certainly in prestige in the culture. And we see God exercises judgment against their sin. And for us as believers, what we know is that God also disciplines us as his children for sin that is in our own lives. And so here's a great question to ask. Why does God exercise judgment or why does God exercise discipline against his children or with his children? I think it's important for us to recognize just how seriously God takes his glory and his mission. I think oftentimes we may lose sight of that. We may not see it for what it really is, but God's glory is serious. God's mission is serious. So for the culture at large that rejects God or that seeks to bring God in and say, you just be the cherry on top of everything else. We just want your power. We don't want you. For us as believers, when we look and there's sin that is evident in our lives and we don't take seriously the fact that God takes sin seriously. We don't recognize that sin is an affront to God. And for us, what we have to recognize is that 
when God takes sin seriously, oftentimes God exercises judgment against that sin for non-believers and exercises discipline in the lives of believers where there's sin. Now you may look and you say, well, gosh, God's got a lot of work to do and I've not seen him exercise his judgment on the people I want him to exercise his judgment against. Or maybe as our nation as a whole, God's not exercising the type of judgment we want him to. But isn't it interesting to recognize that God is often gracious, God is often merciful, not exercising that judgment and not disciplining us in the way that maybe he should discipline us to give us time to turn back to him, to give us time to turn from our sin, to give our culture time to recognize that it is moving in the wrong direction and it is moving far away from the Lord. So that is why God exercises judgment. That is why God exercises discipline in the lives of believers. We see that taking place in the text. And I want you to notice what happens on the back end of that, that it catches everyone's attention. That when this demon-possessed man beats the pants off of these seven men and they run out of the house naked, that that word spread. People heard about it. They knew exactly what had taken place. And what they recognized, notice, was not look at this demon's power. It wasn't that. What they saw was these seven men tried to co-opt God for themselves and their own selfish gain. And what they said was the name of Jesus is serious. And for us, that same thing is true. And so what we have to recognize and understand is that when there is sin in our lives as believers or when there is in our culture a movement away from the Lord and we witness his judgment against that or in our own lives we witness God's discipline, here's the question. How do we respond to that? How do we respond when we see God's judgment taking place or when we see God's discipline exercised in the life of a believer. Maybe it's ourselves. Maybe it's someone else. How do we respond to that? That is so key in this conversation. That is so key in this text, seeing how these believers responded. Notice that the culture is taken off guard. The people that are in the city of Ephesus are wowed and fearful as a result of what happened. And it says that they recognize that God's name is serious. It's something to be held up in high esteem. But more importantly, notice this. The believers are convicted in this moment. They know that there is sin present in their life tied to what's going on here. They are lightly taking the name of Jesus. They are taking salvation and they're adding in these other pagan practices. And they recognize very quickly that God takes this very seriously. And as a result, they respond in repentance they respond in confessing their sin. And so I want us to think about that in our own lives as believers. When God's discipline is exercised in our lives, how do we respond to that? Do we respond in repentance? Do we respond recognizing that God takes his name and his glory very, very seriously? And for us, for sin to be present in our lives, not only hinders our relationship with him, but it also hinders our witness in the world. And for us as believers, if God takes it seriously, we also must take it seriously. 
And like the believers in Ephesus, when that light bulb went off for them, they said, oh, we have got to turn from our sin. We've got to confess this sin. We've got to move back in right relationship with our Heavenly Father. And for you, maybe that's going on in your life right now. Maybe there is unconfessed sin in your life that needs to be dealt with. Maybe there's unconfessed sin in your life that needs to be confessed and need to be brought forward. And for them, they took it so seriously that it cost them something. And maybe it's going to cost you something to come to the table and say, this is what's going on in my life. Not only before the Lord, but other believers, maybe your spouse, maybe your kids. There's things that need to be dealt with. So for you as a believer, you need to take that step. Maybe you've been walking in God's discipline over the last number of months. And for you, you recognize, I've got to take this seriously because God takes this seriously. You know, I've thought about this in relationship to our culture as well. You know, it's really easy for us as Christians to look out in the culture and to say, it is completely messed up and crazy. But here's what I want us to recognize and understand. People that don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ are going to act like people who don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Here's where my concern is. When people who do have a relationship with Jesus Christ act like they don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. And that is something that needs to be confessed. That is something that needs to be dealt with. That sin needs to be uprooted in our lives and dealt with in a very real and powerful way. And so when we experience God's discipline, that's how we should respond in that scenario. Not only that, just think about our church in relationship to all of this. You know, for the church in Ephesus, there was a very real understanding for these gathered believers that the mission of God going forth in the city of Ephesus would be hindered if there was sin that wasn't dealt with in their lives. I think about that in relationship to our community as well. How can North River Church have the maximum impact in this community? And it's going to happen when believers take very seriously God's glory and God's mission. When we take very seriously sin that's in our life that hinders our relationship with the Lord and our witness in this community, and we uproot that and deal with it. I want you to notice on the back end of this that these believers, after all of this had taken place, after this incredible revival in the city of Ephesus, I want you to notice that the gospel of Jesus Christ flourishes in this community. In fact, as we said earlier, the text says that it prevailed, meaning that it overwhelmed everything in that city. It overwhelmed the culture that was there, this pagan city where the occult was something that was held up in high esteem. Here's what happened. The name of Jesus prevailed over that. And so here's the question. What would happen if you and I took God's glory and God's mission seriously? What would happen if we uprooted sin that was in our lives that hindered our relationship with the Lord and our witness in this community? What happens if we took seriously the fact that God has placed us here and called us here to impact this community for His name? What would happen? Could it be, and this is my prayer, that this city that God has placed us in, 
that we live in and work in and go to church in and play ball in and visit restaurants in and are involved in. What happened if the gospel of Jesus Christ prevailed? What happened if lives were transformed? What happens if this type of thing that happened in Ephesus happened here? That's my prayer, that that's exactly what would take place. And I want you to notice, it began with the believers getting right with the Lord. Listen, this type of thing will not happen if the children of God, those who are believers, don't take seriously God's glory and God's mission. If we're flippant about church, if we're flippant about the mission of making disciples in this community, it's not going to happen. But man, if we see God for who He is, if we take seriously the gospel of Jesus Christ that has transformed our lives, if we recognize how great of a message that is to proclaim in this community, and if our lives are transformed by it, here's what very well may happen. This city is overwhelmed in the same way that the city of Ephesus was. And we see what they saw. People, everyone, hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Can you imagine that? Church, I want to encourage you. Allow God to work in your life through this text. Maybe to convict you of sin. Maybe to convict you of the fact that God's blessing in your life is just assumed and not treasured and not rejoiced in. Maybe God is disciplining you because of sin in your life, and you need to confess that and deal with that and uproot that out of your lives in the way that they did here in Ephesus. But would you join me in praying for what happened in verse 20 to happen in this community? That the Lord would work in a powerful way so that His Word, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, flourishes, prevails in this community. So that there is not a person in this community that hasn't heard who Jesus Christ is and how He can change their lives. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You again for Your Word. The opportunity we've had to unpack it today, to walk through it, to see how you were at work in the city of Ephesus, to get just a glimpse, maybe of how you could work here in Parish. Father, would you help us to, to not take your blessings for granted, your work in this community for granted, your work in our own lives for granted, to just assume it and not rejoice in it. And then where we are off course, Father, would you convict us of our sin? Would you discipline us as your children? Would you give us the strength and the courage to confess that sin, to uproot it out of our lives, restore that relationship with you, and allow our lives to be a testimony of your grace at work? God, would you prevail in this community with your power and your gospel message so that lives are transformed? And God, would you let us as North River Church, as believers gathered, be a part of that. We ask it in Jesus' name, amen. I wanna encourage you as we close out our service to respond to the Lord here. Maybe you need to take the step of trusting Jesus as your savior. Maybe you need in this time to take the opportunity to confess your sin. Maybe you're watching the service with someone or listening with someone and you need to, 
to uproot some sin that's in your life? Would you take that very seriously? And then would you ask God to do a work in this community through your life, through the life of North River Church, through the lives of believers and other churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ so that it prevails in this community? Let's respond to the Lord today. Let's worship Him once again through singing.